Halakalikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas. We are huge fans in this program of almanacs of all sort, particularly the World Almanac is one we have used on many occasions to provide you, dear listener, with the information that you need. Of course, they have to update these every year, and we're very pleased to note that we have the senior editor of the current World Almanac and Book of Facts 2015 with us to talk about this wonderful volume. I'd like to say welcome to Radio Parallax, Sarah Jansen. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. I just love almanacs, and I, well, I guess it goes without saying you do too. <laughs> I do. I, I particularly love the world almanac, but I am a fan of facts of all kinds, and that includes um, the many facts that you can find in these kinds of reference books. We should note that we live in a supposed era of information, and we all are familiar with going on the line, online to find things, but there's just nothing quite like having a book in your hands that doesn't ever run out of batteries <laughs> you can take in the bathtub with you and on trips, etc. There's no substitute. But you know what? There really isn't. There's really no substitute for having a book like the World Almanac that covers so many different topics and knowing that you can just flip to a random page and probably find out something that you would never have thought to look up, um, to Google, to, to search for online. You're going to experience the action of learning and the action of discovering information in a completely different way. Well, I'm with you on that. Uh, I, I think that the, the, the selection process that goes into what goes into an almanac must be something you spend a great deal of time of. I happen to have in, in my hand the World Almanac of 1958, which uh, surprisingly is, oh, al wow. is almost as large as the 2015 volume. But of course, with all that's taken place in the meantime, you guys have to sift through what's going to make the grade. That's right. And I, I bet the 1958 World Almanac has, for example, a copy of the Constitution. That's something that we consider an essential um, article in the World Almanac every year. But I bet what it doesn't have are things like statistics on social media usage or things <laughs> like um, celebrity birthdays. You know, these are things that sort of get more interesting or maybe just develop as new topics. I mean, obviously, social media was not a phrase that was even heard of in sure. 1958. <laughs> so the World Almanac is always innovating to try to capture what's going on in the world in the year that it's being published. FYI, Sarah, just opening opening up that old edition right now, you, and it has things like Table of Magnetic Declinations, which I think that you guys have decided they could, someone can look that up online now if they must know something that esoteric. Yeah, we don't have <laughs> we don't have that kind of information in the World Almanac, unfortunately. I'm sure there are still a handful of people that would like to see it there, <laughs> but we do have a limited amount of space to work with every year, and certainly some of those things that are pretty easy to find online or that don't change very much, you might find better elsewhere. Yeah, I mean atomic weights they're going to be they're going to be pretty permanent. <laughs> Is there a lot of fighting <laughs> yeah. in the editorial room over like what you're going to include and and exclude? fighting more uh, spirited debates. You know, the editors of the World Almanac are all really passionate people. They're all really interested in what's going on in the world. And sometimes it's hard to hear that there's not room for um, something that you're really committed to including 
in the World Almanac. So it's it can be a little bit disappointing sometimes to figure out, well, you know, it would be great to include that, but we just don't have the pages this year. Maybe we'll look at it again next year, or maybe we can include what you want to include, but it's just going to be a little shorter than you would like. Um, so there are still those constraints, but I think we do a pretty good job of trying to fit everything in, of boiling everything down to the most essential uh, key data and presenting it in a way that's really useful for readers. Let me ask you, what are the things that you're that uh, you're most passionate about? Well, some of the subjects that I like to work on in particular um, are baseball. I'm a big baseball fan, so that's something that I always get really interested in. I'm also really proud of a new section that we did this year on um, veterans, on American veterans, you know, sort of jumping off of you know, the fact that we've been out of Iraq technically for about uh, three years now, and then you also have the final drawdown of troops going on in Afghanistan. And we just wanted to take a look at uh, how some of the veterans' programs were serving those who are done with their service. So how did the GI Bill reforms work out? Um, there was a big scandal with the VA health care system this summer. Are things getting sorted out there and improved on there. Things like that that we sort of felt like we're not necessarily getting a whole lot of attention, but are certainly very important to uh, millions of Americans. Well, that's a, that's a commendable effort, Sarah, but I'm wondering if, you know, it's hard to interview, it, it's a bit hard for us, I think, uh, to interview with someone who's the editor of an almanac, because where do you begin, where do you end? But I thought what we might do is just go through some of the remarkable facts of the, of the jillions of them that are here, and just sort of comment on some of those. How's that sound? That sounds fine to me. Okay. Well, I want to start with just, uh, you know, the very first page of the book. You start out with some surprising facts, and some of these are pretty surprising. Uh, the U.S. in 1950 produced 76% of the world's motor vehicles. By 2013, that dropped to 12.7. That That's that is surprising. Surprising statistics of all kinds in the world, Almanac. And, yeah, <laughs> that first page is really just trying to give... Um, people a sense of the breadth of the information that we have in the book. So everything from transportation statistics to um, the nation with the most vacation days every year to celebrity birthdays, again, a big hit always, um, to high school bullying. I mean, there's so much information in the World Almanac. It, it almost feels kind of silly every year when we're putting, you know, these one or two World at a Glance pages together um, that we call them in the front of the book. But it can be interesting to to look at the World Almanac, not just as this huge universe, but also as a book that has, you know, one or two or a dozen really, really interesting facts that you're just not going to find anywhere else. Yeah, you note off the start here, mentioning celebrity birthdays here in 2015, looking ahead, you note that Yogi Berra is turning 90, the Dalai Lama is turning 80, and so is Woody Allen and Sandy Koufax, whereas, uh, you know, I think of these, these young youngsters, Tiger Woods, young, young guy, Going to turn 40 this year. It happens to the best of us. You know, if, <laughs> if we're lucky, we, we do hit those milestones eventually. I, I want to note that uh, it isn't just all trivia. Uh, there's, some, there's some facts in here that probably people really, uh, really ought to know. And, and one that really struck me, and I should note that I am a uh, practicing physician, I was quite stunned by your list of the top sources of calories in the country. They were not what I would have expected. Yeah, I don't actually have the list memorized, but I <laughs> remember being surprised when I read it also. But, you know, these are statistics that we're getting. I believe that uh, source is to the uh, uh, either the USDA or the FDA. 
that provided that information this year. Um, and I remember being surprised by a lot of the elements on it, too. I thought it would all be, you know, candies and cookies and things like that. And those are on the list, I believe, but they were down a little farther than I thought they would be. Yeah, well, I've, I've been thumbing through here in desperation. Found page 169 with the actual list. And, and number one, for all adults, 19 plus, number one source of calories in the American diet, grain-based desserts. <laughs> Holy cow. It's a big category. <laughs> I don't think that brownies and muffins and uh, donuts and the like would come in number one, but uh, apparently they do. And, uh, of course, something else okay. in the news, energy sports drinks, they're, they're number the, the number four source of calories in this country. So, I mean, this is, a, this is stuff people ought to be aware of. It's definitely an interesting topic. Of course, nutrition is always going to get um, a lot of people interested in because there's so much information out there, and it all is, like, internally contradictory. So... It's hard to know what the actual facts are, and we've got at least, you know, the, our best aim at providing the actual facts, which are provided by the USDA. And that does, of course, raise a question. I mean, we are flooded a lot of times, especially on the Internet, with a lot of bogus data. I suppose you have to spend a lot of time making sure that what you have is correct. Mm, that's exactly right. We spend a lot of time just sorting through our sources, just looking at, you know, where is this information coming from, how recent was it created so are we do we have the most up-to-the-minute data and then looking at the process behind it um, sort of looking at a number of different sources for a particular fact to see which is the most authoritative or which study was more comprehensive um, which studies have been vetted by more independent uh, journals for example so there's a lot of analysis that goes into that and I think that's some of the uh, the value added that the World Almanac does that you can't necessarily find from a Google search search result, which is that we've already done the culling for you. We've already done the analyzing of, well, what is the most accurate, what is the most up-to-date, what is the authoritative um, information for whatever you happen to be looking for. Well, I, I do note that uh, there's a few areas I do have some special interest in that I know pretty well, and again and again and again, I'm thinking, that's right, that's right, and that's right. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Good. But having said that, of course, I have to add, I did find one error. <laughs> that I did wish oh, to point dear. out. Oh, dear. Well, we always appreciate hearing about errors. You know, we're never excited to hear about them, but we always want to know about them so we can make sure that it's not an error that is repeated again right. and again. Well, if you got if you got a pencil, Sarah, page 358, <laughs> <laughs> you say Ceres is a class of stony meteorites known as carbonaceous chondrites, referring to the uh, the, the dwarf planet Ceres, which we'll be getting a look at uh, this, this February with the Dawn spacecraft. Uh, meteorite, I don't think, was the word you wanted to use. Well, I will have to talk to that section's editor about that. It's actually an editor who is a professor of astronomy at a university in California, so I'm sort of surprised that he would miss something like that, but I will certainly have him look into it, and it will be corrected if it is, in fact, incorrect. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is, but uh, I'm not a professor of astronomy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose that you, this is a constant battle. Every year you have to go through and, like, just pick out because as much as, as try as you might, there's just got to be little mistakes here and there. Usually it's, it's, you know, maybe a typo or a misprint, but once in a while something just sneaks through, and we're always uh, happy to have the opportunity to correct it. But most of the time, uh, our fact-checkers do a pretty good job to make sure that doesn't happen. And I want to contrast that, too, with the fact that there's some facts from Factoid posted, posted out there on the web. There's chances are not somebody going by, uh, uh, you know, solicitly trying to make sure they get it fixed. So you guys get points on that department. 
We're always trying to, to correct any errors. And also, I mean, we do still spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money, frankly, um, making sure that everything does get fact-checked that we print in the World Almanac. So it does get a second and a third round of vetting, which doesn't necessarily happen in the age of being able to publish something instantly online. Well, I want to talk about how this can be a personal journey for people, too. They, they, may, they may find a little factoid that makes them think, huh, really? That says something about me. And, and that happened to me when I looked at your, your list of National Book Awards. I keep thinking I need to read more fiction. And when I read the fact that of the National Book Award winners since, I guess, 1950 or so, in the fiction department, I've read zero, whereas I've read numerous <laughs> ones in nonfiction. It can be sort of hard to keep up on these things, but I think, you know, the World Almanac does a great job of keeping up on all of that. I mean, you've got yourself a, a reading list now that's 64 books or so long. You can get started tomorrow, right? I, there you go. I'll, I'm going to get right on it. I'm just trying to think of some other things here that really struck me, and there actually are many of them. Uh, okay, I didn't realize you guys are publishing the Perpetual Calendar. Sometimes I found like an old Gary Larson, one of those wonderful collections of his calendars. But of course, it's like 15 years old. But I thought, hey, wait a minute. I can reuse this again in a couple of years if I wait. So you can't actually go to the World Almanac and figure out when a calendar again can be used if you happen to like the uh, something about it. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that that's something you sort of forget. There's only 14 different versions of years. Right. And you can, uh, you can basically just use them all again and again if you like. I'm going to re-gift the Gary Larson thanks to you guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> Just cross out all of the uh, incorrect years yeah, and fill yeah, in the yeah, new yeah. one. It's not 1998. Let's just use this in 2017. It's going to all work. All the <laughs> days are going to be correct. But exactly. Again, you, uh, because you guys have put together this fascinating collection, something may just pop out like, huh. Like, for example, I'm looking at your list of like how far away world cities are. And I was thinking, well, now if a guy wanted to dig through, the old saying is you dig through, you wind up in China. Well, you don't, unless you're starting out in Melbourne, Australia. So I was intrigued by the fact that uh, the, the furthest distance you could find between two cities in the world was Honolulu to um, Cape Town, in case anybody keeps score, 11,000 miles, which I just thought was kind of cool. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that that's the farthest between world cities. That's a sort of selected locations uh, table. It's not necessarily meant to be... Um, you know, the most or the least. It's not a superlative ranking at all. All right. Well, according to the word almanac, the, the, the cities to beat are those two, 11,535 miles apart, and we ask our listeners to see if they can find some further. How's that? <laughs> that sounds great. So uh, I, I imagine that no sooner, I noticed that you guys included the, um, the election results from, from 2014, so it seems to me you must be having the printer just waiting for those results in November before you can really put this thing to bed. That's exactly what's going on, as a matter of fact. We have, like, four days after the election to wrap up the final pages of the book. So it's always a, a scramble at the very last minute to get all these those uh, results in and also a good overview of, you know, what happened during the election, try to tease out any themes. Um, but we're not really taking a, a position on any of these political issues that we sort of leave that to the 24-hour uh, cable network. <laughs> sure. I think they do a better job than we could. Sure. But I do appreciate your little summary. On the very second page of, like, the whole Ebola controversy, you had some facts in there about it that kind of can help reassure the public, which I think is, is useful. I think that's going to be a useful feature, too. You know, when the outbreak was first um, found in a U.S.-based patient, you know, you started getting all of this crazy misinformation. Sure. Um, even from 
even from people who should have known better than to misinform the public. And so we just wanted to have a very basic, um, very straightforward, very factual guide to what Ebola is and how you can get it and really how hard it is to get because um, there was so much misinformation floating around out there. Thank God. I know there was one poll put out with asking people about the dangers threatening them. They had Ebola way ahead of like heart disease and cancer, which is uh, which is pretty silly. It was all just so so crazy. And we're located in New York, so obviously there was a lot of local um, you know fear mongering going on about that too. So we just wanted to present it in a very unscary clinical kind of way so that people could be reassured that Ebola is not the greatest threat facing um, most Americans these days. Indeed. Uh, another little little trivia bit, and again, anyone who likes trivia, and I think people should just get a kick out of facts for their own value sometimes, I had no idea. There are six non-voting members of the U.S. Congress, American Samoa, District of Columbia, Guam, Northern Marianas, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands, which, I, which raises the question, what are these guys doing if they never get to vote? I don't, you may not know the answer to that. but It's a fair question, but I think that a lot of the times they're serving on committees. I think that that's the idea of having that representation. Even if you don't have a vote, they're allowed to speak and ask questions in committees, or at least that's how it's explained when you ask that question of your uh, <laughs> local representative. <laughs> So again, looking at I'm looking again at the 1958 version, the 2015 version, and it, of course it's an evolutionary process. Uh, how much of it is sort of driven by by readers, and how much of it is sort of top down from you guys saying, "Here's what we need to put in there." Um, I think it's sort of an interactive process. So it would be really hard for me to say like just how much is X and just how much is Y. Uh, I think we hear from our readers a lot uh, via our website, which is worldalmanac.com, and also from um, people tweeting at us and contacting us on Facebook. We get a lot of messages that way these days. Um, but most of the time, we are looking at trying to incorporate those comments in addition to looking at, you know, what's going on in the world. Is there any um, topic that we're not covering as well as we could? Is there any new study with new information available? Are there new statistics um, coming from NGOs and the international community? We're basically just trying to, to do as much collecting as possible, especially at this point in our calendar year. Um, and then sort of toward the summer, we'll start to look at, you know, winnowing it down and seeing what we think is going to be the most essential information to add for our readers to use in 2016. Well, Sarah, any, any groundswell of early precincts reporting of what's going to be in the 2016? Or is that, is that too early to say? Oh, gosh, I think it's too early to say we have a couple of, uh, of obituaries, a couple of celebrity deaths <laughs> since we sure, printed the book. Sure, yeah. But other than that, I, I don't think that we're going to be able to, to say for sure until we get a little closer to 2016. All right. Well, I, I noted that uh, there's a great line in All About Eve where Betty Davis spits out this line about the information being as accurate as the world almanac, but I couldn't find it on YouTube. I'm so looking forward oh, to putting that up. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, I do know that uh, in the movie uh, White Men Can't Jump, Marissa Tomei is reading a world almanac the entire time, basically. As well she should. <laughs> as well she should. Who shouldn't? Well, Sarah Jansen, it's been, it's been a great pleasure speaking with you. I hope that a lot of our listeners uh, will want to avail themselves of your very useful volume. Well, thank you so much for having me. I hope that uh, you can pick it up in time for Christmas. And I'm sure a lot of people will. It's a great stocking stuffer. Okay, Sarah, sounds, thanks so much. Sounds good. All righty. All right, happy holidays. Okay, same to you. Bye. Bye-bye.